1: Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. I'm Megan.
0: Let's shake our Grigri and go the lock here.
1: I almost said I am Grigri. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to
0: Crime Cur- Curious. I am Grigri.
1: I am Grigri. Exactly.
0: I am Groot. I am about. Groot. Yes, oh. I am Groot today. Don't you just want to dig your roots in a little bit? Yes, I have had to ground my energy several times today. It Me has too. been, And just for reference, if you guys know of any weird things going on in the universe, it is October 11th, 2023 in Nothing has went right for anyone today. Well,
1: war has broken out in the Holy e- Land. It has. We are in I know. a weird, weird um, funk in terms of a mm-hmm. of a glo- in a global environment.
0: Yeah. it has disrupted the energy. It has. It has. And Ugh. then
1: on on top of that, um, we have all kinds of other things happening, and some of them are good. Like it's. Um, it's October, it and is. I think we're shocking you with this case today. We are. Um, we've got fall and changing weather, and in Michigan, that means like funks and headaches and weird, just weird energies in general and spooky shit happening. Um, and yeah, and then also pumpkin spice is available everywhere. and in On every everything, farm. yes. Yeah. Have you eaten perfume. pumpkin spice perfume and, and like Cheetos?
0: Yeah, I mean, you can have it from lips to, to tips if lips you to want. Lips to tips, Let's that's, just, that's it's true. It's everywhere. Baby,
1: will you get out the pumpkin spice <laughs> condoms tonight? <laughs> Let's bake us a pie.
0: I'm so glad that you
1: understood what I meant oh that. i knew what you meant oh. we are on the same wavelength always and possibly share the same brave wave <laughs> the brain, brain wave. wave brain wave brave. brain wave the same brave wave well we've almost completed the bottle almost. i have you've sipped because I know. you haven't because i'm talking
0: and i'm talking I'm i am presenting the case but oh i God. this bottle is helping you get through this horrific story <laughs> Um, however, I'm happy to bring us part two. Um, we are going to talk about the investigation that takes place, the trials that take place and who these Is boys this were. still the
1: same book or is this a new book?
0: We are, it's kind of both. It's both the first book, but then also Briannan, our lovely Patreon who recommended this case to us, just so you know that you are jumping in on part two. So go listen to part one so that you're not lost because you've missed a lot, um, Part two is a lot about the other book she sent us that's called Gitchy Girl Uncovered, The True Story of the Night of Mass Murder and the Hunt for the Deranged
1: Killers by Phil Hammond and Sandy Hammond. So they did write a sequel or kind of a- They did. Or kind they, of even a, a, a company, a, a read along book, because I'm assuming some it of it's is. at the same time frame.
0: It is. It, let me tell you, Gitchy Girl is telling the story from
1: Sandra's, Sandra's perspective.
0: Okay. Gitchy Girl Uncovered, talks about it goes more in depth is it into more third
1: person or omniscient uh, point of view where you have them telling it more neutrally from different people
0: yes because it goes more in depth into the
1: investigation than Gitchy girl did which is hard to do from her perspective because she, cause was she wasn't privy to it girl and not okay yep, yep thank you for clarifying yep. i think that's helpful So Gitchy
0: girl uncovered is more of like the interviews that the authors did with the law enforcement um at the time and following the trials and things like that of things that she she wouldn't have known, you know, because she was being 13 and going through the trauma of all of this as okay. well. So let's pick up at 2 a.m. Saturday. Um, no, I'm sorry. It's actually Sunday. November 18th, okay. 1973, 2 a.m. Sandra Chesky was just dropped off back at home, unexplained by a man who had kidnapped her and four of her friends, the man was called The Boss, and he was working with two other men who called themselves RJ and Hatchetface. And Sandra and her friends, Roger Essam, Mike Hadreth, Stu and Dana Bade, they were brothers, had been at what was called the Gitche Manitow State Park, having a bonfire, smoking a little bit of weed, and listening to Stu and Dana play music, when they had been attacked by the three strangers that I mentioned before, RJ, Hatchetface, and the boss. When Sandra was walking into her home, all she knows is that she had been violently sexually assaulted by the man that called himself RJ, while the other two two men stood outside the truck. The men claimed to be cops. She has no idea that her four friends, one of which Roger was her boyfriend, at this point in time have all been murdered. Sandra grows... Sandra goes to her brother, Bob, first to wake him up. She tells him what she knew of the very long night, a night that aged Sandra several lifetimes and would, one that would change this current lifetime forever. Bob told her that she needed to call the police, but they both feared what would happen since these three men claimed to be the cops, and so they just didn't know. <clears throat> Bob told her, get some sleep, think
1: about it. No,
0: and then we I, will we will reconvene in the morning. I mean, I understand.
1: I understand why. Yep. Yep. I hate it, but I understand why. Bob's a child, too. Yes,
0: exactly. At 9 a.m., she woke up and tried to call Roger's house first.
1: And he wasn't going to fucking
0: answer because he's dead. Oh, my God. Right. The phone just kept ringing. She called Debbie, <sighs> and she asked if Debbie could come over. Debbie's like, listen, I can after church. I can't skip church this week because my mom is telling me I absolutely have to go. She's got to go get herself some Jesus that day. You will go
1: to hell if you don't come with mom to church.
0: So she tried Roger's home again, and this time someone answered, but told her that he had not come home for the night, which was not super concerning to the seven, to the family because he was 17 years old. He had lots of friends in the neighborhood. Dude,
1: he was out partying a little. He probably said he was spending the night someplace anyway.
0: Well, right, and they typically crashed at one another's houses for the night and then would come walking in the next morning, right?
1: Right, absolutely.
0: So when Debbie arrives after church, Sandra spilled the whole story to her and um, and wanted to go, like Sandra wanted Debbie to go with her to go back out to the campsite to see if maybe the boys were still stranded out there. Um, now, Debbie didn't have her vehicle at this point in time, so they didn't have a ride, so they hitchhiked. Very normal for 1973. A lady picked them up, took them as far as Sioux Falls, where they were planning on hitching another ride to Gitchy at that point in time, but they stopped at a payphone first. Okay. Sandra wanted to try Roger again and see what was going on. At this point in time, one of his brother's answers... And she asked if Roger was there and then just kept talking without the brother being able to give her an answer. She asked, so she asks if Roger is there and then says, I know what happened to him because I was with him last night and these three men came on us and they said they were cops and they shot at us. They said the bullets weren't real, that they were tranquilizer, tranquilizers. The brother told her to slow down and she interrupted and said, one of them raped me. So he immediately asked her where she was and said, I want to come pick you up. What he did not tell Sandra is that earlier that morning, his family had been notified by the police of Roger's murder.
1: They already knew.
0: Yes. Because remember where we started this story about the three bodies that were found? And
1: they're wondering where the hell she is.
0: They At least the family members. They member, don't so. know that she was with him at the time. Now they do. Now they do but there were four boys. So at the very beginning of this story, in part one, I tell you that a driver found three bodies by the side of the road and he calls it into the police. The police come out. They find the three bodies. These are the three boys that are, were executed execution style. Roger was found back at the campsite later during the investigation. Okay. So just so you know, it's a re- I started the case with three bodies being found, I, even though there are four victims because initially they only had those three bodies then they found the campsite. And that was where Roger's body was.
1: Roger was the first one shot and killed by he the was, campfire. Yep, and was Sandra's boyfriend. Right.
0: So Roger's family, the first time that Sandra called Roger's family, they hadn't been notified yet. They just said, "Hey, he didn't come home last night." I remember. Right. And so she's like, okay, she hangs up. She calls Debbie. Debbie says, I'll come pick you up after, or we'll come, I'll come to you after church. She gets dropped off after church and they hitchhike to Sioux Falls where she's like, I just got to try Roger one more time before I actually hitchhike all the way back out to Gitchy. And um, that is when Roger's brother picks up and knows at this, by this point in
1: time that Roger is dead. And she had been and with she them last says, night.
0: Yep. She interrupts before he has a, a time she doesn't um,
1: know he's dead. Because
0: she doesn't know. Right. So before he can say, No, Sandra, she, you know, he's dead, whatever, she just says, I was with him last night. I know I what raped. happened. Um, there were three men that came upon us and I was raped. So she was he was like, Okay, where are you? I'm gonna come pick you up and what he does is he picks Debbie and Sandra up and he takes them right to the police station. Good boy. Okay. He did not tell them during that ride what had happened. What
1: a smart boy.
0: For sure. Because he doesn't know if she's involved. Agreed. Right? And so he also doesn't tell her that that's where he's taking her.
1: He did the absolute right thing. Yep. What what night? Thinking under pressure right there.
0: Mm -hmm. And so he...
1: Just simply walks them into the detective's office that
0: had came to their house and talked to them earlier that morning and says, this was the girl that was with my brother last night. The detective tells 13-year-old Sandra that a homicide has occurred. He asked her if she knew what that was. She didn't know. No. But being 13 and not wanting him to think that she was dumb, her words, not mine, she just shook her head. Okay, because she didn't want him to think that I'm not smart, so therefore I'm not a credible person. So she just shakes her head, yes, Mm -hmm. like yes, I know what a homicide is. Can't
1: use the term murder. Nope, he
0: used the term homicide. Again, we're more informed now. We know know how to meet people where they are. In 1973, that was to meet adults where they
1: are. When I talk to them, let alone a 13 year old -old girl. girl.
0: So they began reading her her Miranda rights.
1: Oh, Jesus. And
0: Roger's brother flew into a fit of rage, asking them what the fuck they were doing, their words, not e- not even mine, even though that sounds like something I'd say, um, <laughs> trying to explain to them that she is a victim too. So they made him leave the room and said, this is standard procedure. Sandra, at this point, is still very confused. She does not know the truth, that all of her friends are dead. Uh they asked her for her statement, and Sandra, being very well-spoken, very mature for her age, gave them as many details as she could. As a matter of fact, Megan, it was 10 pages of details by the time the police were done taking her statement. But the problem is, it didn't add up in their investigation standpoint because it just didn't seem to make sense. Why did the boss allow her to live to tell the tale? So this made her the prime suspect in their eyes. 13 years old. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> At the very least They didn't least, do rape
1: kits then, did they?
0: They did. We'll get to it. Okay. At the very least an accomplice, if she, you know, she wasn't an active participant, they believed her to be an accomplice to the supposed three men that were involved. The other thing that did not add up is how she could have witnessed the murders and be so cold and detailed in that moment in those statements, not showing any emotion while she gave her statement. And they actually made note of it. They made note of her coldness. Exactly, Megan, because she didn't know that they were dead. So she doesn't have emotion. She's trying to just catch the bad guys, right? That did the bad thing to her. They've been
1: tranquilized and she's Mm -hmm. been raped. And it's all because of drugs. Yep. And it
0: was police. So they're just not realizing that she still doesn't know. So she thought homicide was a crime. It was. But she thought that it might have something to do with the drug raids that the three men said they were doing. She's still wondering if she's in trouble at this point in time. Especially since they read her her Miranda rights. Right. So they asked her to write a statement, which she did feeling helpful, feeling like she was doing something that could bring these bad guys who shot at her friends with tranquilizer tranquilizers and raped her, you know, bring them to justice. But she did not know that the police who took her initial report made comments and remarks of their own as about how she was so cold because she should could so easily give a verbal and written statement. And by the time she was done, fatigue was settled in just as the detectives were starting to, like, come and take... The other detectives were coming and taking over. So it's now time for me to bring back a character that I've not mentioned since part one, since the beginning of this case. The amazing Sheriff Craig Vinson. Okay. I mentioned him in the beginning. He was the one that was called... That initially responded to the bodies. So he also brought in... You're going to love this. He brought in a female officer with him to record her statement. In
1: the 70s. How progressive of them.
0: Yep. Yep. I loved it. He wanted her to give him a statement herself so that she could she could he could get as accurate as possible of an assessment of this girl who his coworkers are saying are cold, is cold, and calculating and all this stuff and a
1: suspect. Mm-hmm.
0: So he watched as she spoke maturely, eloquently, reliving the entire night, yet again for the third time. Let's go over how many times this girl's been re-traumatized. You don't even want to know what that
1: does to our brains, knowing that you put children through minimal interviews now when they've had trauma occur. (laughs) They just Mm -hmm. didn't do that in the 70s. -mm. Nope.
0: When she was done, he let her know that she's been through a lot, that she should rest now. He said, I've got your mom on the way. So she laid her head in her arms, and she drifted off to sleep on accident, and like right on the table. And she was awakened by the gentle touch of her mom, Lolo, shaking her arm. Sheriff Vincent said to Lolo, Ma'am, your daughter has been very helpful and provided excellent information. We hope it will prove very useful in catching the murderers. Sandra whispers to her mom, murderers?
1: Yeah, that's when she realizes. And then she
0: realizes what homicide meant. She's hysterical at this point. So hysterical that she collapses to the floor and she has to be taken to the hospital.
1: Okay. Okay. Does the sheriff realize now, holy shit, this girl didn't know they died until yeah, I just said this? They
0: make note of her reaction. Yes. She's taken, you're going to hate this part. As much as Sheriff Vincent was trauma informed, the hospital staff, not so much.
1: Oh, great.
0: She's taken into a white room and put into a gown. Her mom gives consent for a pelvic exam. Now, keep in mind that she's exhausted. Reality of the situation has now set in and she's traumatized. And now her mother has to leave the room while three men in white coats and masks come in to do a pelvic exam.
1: Right. So you've been sexually assaulted and now they took your mom away and you're going to have somebody's gloved fingers shoved inside your vagina.
0: And a speculum and all of those things. And there's three men, just like there were that night. Oh, my God. Three men. The trauma.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Okay. So- Just so you all know, this would not happen today, No, but it happened then. So they performed the exam for evidence. Sandra and her family had to go stay with a relative while the killers were on the loose because they knew where Sandra lived, and the news of the four murdered teens was all over the news, so now they know that Sandra has squealed as well, that the teens have been found, that there was a survivor, so she's in danger. She did not realize that it could get worse than this moment. Because what she thought was rock bottom was not actually rock bottom. Rock bottom is that the truth of the matter is that for the next 18 months, Sandra would be put through public trial. She would be ridiculed, blamed, and flat out called a liar. There were news articles calling her into question. There were police officers on the current force that did not believe her. Sandra worked closely with the police, working with a sketch artist to come up with, a, with composite sketches to release to the public. She was taken back to the very place the boys were murdered
1: to walk them through what happened, traumatizing mm. her again. I know. Unfortunately that is a necessary trauma right there with Charnel. It
0: is. That's that's the one I agree with. I know. Right. She's thirteen. She's not allowed to attend the boys' funerals for her own safety. She begged to be able to attend Roger's, though, and for the first time ever, she showed defiance and said that she would run away if she was not allowed to attend Roger's funeral. Did his family believe her? This is her first love. Did his family believe her? We will get to it. Okay. Yeah. Don't break my heart. Not all of them initially, Okay. but she does have, um, I believe it's one of Roger's sisters, is one of her dearest friends today and helped her write these books.
1: Yeah. Gotcha.
0: So they did set up a way for her to enter in the back at Roger's funeral and stay behind a curtain behind the stage until a family member heard that she was there and in their grief went back there and screamed that she did not belong there, screamed at her that she knew more than she was telling the cops and that they did not want her there. Okay. So she had to leave. I understand. I know, exactly. But she's 13. She's a baby. She doesn't understand. She doesn't understand anything. And not getting to say goodbye to her first love that was brutally murdered in front of her and her not realizing that he was murdered until after the fact. She's so young and innocent. She did not even realize that men could lie about being cops, lie about bullets being real or fake. And now she's being accused of being savvy enough to lie to the police. She also heard rumors around town that people thought that she had a jealous boyfriend who had killed the boys and just made up the three men posing as cops story. Of course. Because she's gorgeous. You also need to be aware that there's an ethnicity thing in here because she is has Native American heritage, and you can see it in her features. features. Absolutely. So Sandra and her family are safely transferred to a safe house and remarkably, Sheriff Vinson not only believed her, but knew that she would be the piece of the puzzle that brings justice. Amongst most of the, pol- most of the police force and even the Iowa Bureau of Investigations, Sheriff Vinson drove Sandra around for days, for hours, looking for the abandoned farmhouse that she described where she was raped. It had a red gas tank, Sandra never changed her story or wavered on the description. So Sheriff Vinson was convinced that they could stumble upon that abandoned farmhouse with the red gas tank if they just kept trying.
1: For well, those of you that may be wondering that by gas tank, charnel literally means like what you used, tank. a propane tank, something mm-hmm. that you'd use to fuel uh, as fuel out in the country.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and they, red is bizarre. Red is bizarre. They're usually white. Correct. Yep. Mine is. Yep. majority of them are. My mom cleans hers because she thinks that it's rude to leave a dirty gas tank for the gas man.
1: I've always had bushes surrounding mine and um, mine were recently pulled out so that I could do some landscaping. And I looked at it and went, I don't know what to do with this. I think I need to plant flowers. (laughs) (laughs) I think I need to put the bushes back. Well, no, because they were right from the 70s.
0: (laughs) Get it? Uh, uh, Move on. Move on quickly. So here we go. They drove for hours, Megan. Um, and while they were driving, other pieces of evidence are being gathered, okay, in the event that they are able to make an arrest and a, an eventual trial comes to, to um, fruition. To, exactly, to fruition. Now, trigger alert. I wasn't going to initially include this information, but I think it's important to make it very clear the brutality and the evil that was
1: done to these victims.
0: So I'm going to read for you the autopsy notes. I know. I see your face.
1: No, I, I, I'm one of those people who I want, I, I, as much as I don't want to hear it, I want to hear it. Mm-hmm. I want the information. I
0: get it. So just for um, my, to cite my sources here, y'all, I am reading from Gitchy Girl, the Survivor's Inside Story of the Mass Murders That Shocked the Heartland by Phil Har- Hammond and Sandy Hammond. So these are the autopsy notes. Roger Essam, male, 17 years old. Multiple wounds to the head, face, upper chest, and arms. Seven exit wounds. Skull fractures. Brain wounds. Stuart Bade, male, 18 years old. Wounds to the chest, abdomen, and upper right upper leg. Extensive wounds to the left hand. Large gaping wound to the middle of back and buttocks. Mike Hadrith, male, 15 years old. Wounds to the upper left chest left upper arm, left side of face, left hand and wrist, also shots to the back buttocks and legs. One of the pathologists reviewed the notes where he determined that this had happened after the initial wounds and while the victim was lying, was likely lying face down on the ground. Dana Bade, male, 14 years old, wounds to the right chest, heart, and back. The pathologist also removed what was later determined by ballistic experts to be number four and double-aught buckshot from the bodies of Stu and Mike, number four buckshot from Roger, and double-aught buckshot from Dana. What this says to us, y'all, is that even after the boys were long perished, there was continuous abuse to their body. That's what violence it sounds like. to their body
1: like either they were continually shot afterwards like used it ta- as target practice or some other type of traumas were occurring
0: nope out of sport they were they were continuously shot rounds were continuously shot okay. into them
1: and the three that were shot execution style were they they were never were they on the side of the road or placed there
0: they that's where they were shot that's, what that's I thought. right where the truck was that um sandra got into and was told if you just I can get you out of this. So, if after you just they just get in the truck.
1: After they drove off with her, um the people that were left there, the murders that were left there. Mm-hmm. were it Any was, of
0: them left there? It was Hatchet, Hatchet and JR. And, that's right. With the three boys. They with, continued to shoot them. Correct. Dana, Stu, and Mike. Okay. And then Roger was
1: left cuz he was already site. dead at the And they site. never dragged him or anything. He was he was nope. left at the campsite, but him. it sounds like he had postmortem injuries too.
0: He did. Oh okay. yeah. Yep. All right. So, Vision got, uh, Officer, excuse me, Sheriff, Sheriff v- um, Vinson got a lot of heat for trusting Sandra from his coworkers, from the public, even from the Iowa Bureau of Investigations. They put her through, the um, IBA, IBI, put her through an extensive polygraph test where two investigators tried their best to trip her up and couldn't. So they oh, came out and told truth. Vincent she's telling the truth. Then Vincent lets them know the medical exam also confirmed that she had been raped. Okay. So now that the Iowa Bureau of Investigations knows this girl is telling the truth and she is a victim. Okay. But this information can't be released to the public. So right. you can imagine that they are making their own conclusions and rumors in the very place that Sandra and her family are living, working, and grieving. Sandra can't attend
1: school. And where a potential trial is going to be held. Correct.
0: She can't attend school. She's grieving the loss of her, the loss of her first love and her friends, and riding along daily with Officer Vincent, Sheriff. I should say,
1: still trying to find the house to with the look propane for The
0: abandoned house. Yep, he could see it was taking a toll on her, but he also learned a lot about her as a person. How she wished that her mom did not have to work so much because she loved spending time with her. And not in a selfish way, in just more of a, gosh, she's a hard worker and I wish we could be together more way.
1: Did she talk to him about her being in foster care and all mm-hmm. those type of things? He became a confidant.
0: He did. And she would ask him questions about his family life. For example, he she really wanted to know about how they all ate dinner as a family. Because that is something that due to her parents' work schedule and just trying to make ends meet, they, they didn't get to do. Yeah, Finally, one day. Two weeks after the murders, they're driving and Sandra son suddenly screams out as a truck passes them. And she screams, that's the boss. There was another police officer riding with them in the back. They knew Sandra was, was um, likely spot on because she had told them about the truck, the description of the truck, and that there was a gun rack in the back. And they saw the rack in the back. So they pull over. They do a U-turn officer vincent she's literally
1: there she's there when they pull over mm-hmm. the
0: oh my god what he does sheriff vincent had the other detective and sandra exit the car and keep themselves hidden while he sped up to pull the truck over okay yep the truck did not try to flee just pulled over and the man looked just like the description that sandra gave as did the truck
1: I'd be a sarcastic motherfucker, and <laughs> when I walked up to the car, I'd be like, hey, yo, boss, why don't you hand me your driver's license? Boss.
0: The boss exited the vehicle and did not try to resist. resist. Sheriff Vincent arrested Alan E. Fryer, age 29, a hired hand that worked on machinery on the farm and tend to the livestock. It was not his farm. The farmer did later tell police that in his spare time, Alan Fryer liked to sit for hours polishing his shotgun over and over. It wasn't an abandoned farm. It just looked like it was to Sandra, to a 13-year-old. So
1: it was a working
0: farm. Yep, and he was a hired hand there. Okay. During his initial interview, Alan Fryer, Alan the boss Fryer, denied any knowledge of the murders. The detectives handled this case expertly and offered him many bathroom, cigarette, and food breaks,
1: as we've seen before. Mm-hmm. Eventually, he did admit to
0: pheasant hunting in the area the night of the murders. Okay, but still claimed he didn't have anything to do with them. You're hunting pheasant at night, sir. At, at night, in the in the dark. Well, when the pheasants are roosting. Okay. And also, can I see your license? i'm right i don't i don't they're maybe he mice. maybe he did have one i don't, but i also don't know that it's allowed in the state parks i'm not sure about those no there's in 1973
1: I, I think that they actually were kind of probably. open areas where people who didn't have land of their own could go and hunt
0: probably immediately alan's brothers david l fryer or hatchet face if as we have known him to this point and james r fryer jr jr were arrested these are brothers they're all fucking brothers, and they are the spawn of Satan. They sure are. It oh. turns out, I think Satan's mistress is their mother, and her name is. Um, I actually didn't make note of it. It's not worth saying. It's not. I'm pretty. It's possible they were hatched instead of actually birthed.
1: Oh, in her defense, it is possible. Um, changelings, right? Her her babies were changed out for these things. Perhaps, perhaps. Pseudo-humans. Either way, Satan is definitely their daddy. I've got to know shit about these people. Please tell me you have some background.
0: Well, this is where I'm going to tell you that you can read more about them in Gitchy Girl Uncovered. But I didn't spend a whole lot of time telling you a ton about them. It's nothing surprising. Not, they're... Especially for 1973. They're just your run-of-the-mill
1: pieces of shit. So great. Yeah. Good to know. I I mean, I get to it a bit. Well, you know, I mean, is there severe childhood trauma or sexual abuse? Were they abandoned by their dad? Did their mommy beat them? You know, did she Norman Bates them or what?
0: I mean, I think they had a regular upbringing. For nine for, for the sixties, like well, because our no vic-
1: our victim, she's had a pretty traumatic past in terms of stuff that's happened and to she's her. A fabulous, and person. she's a lovely young lady. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. So the long and the short of short of it, y'all, is that we really don't get the real story because these three flesh sacks of evil and despair, they recant, they twist details, and they blame one another so much that it's just like you can't even follow it. What it boils down to. Pointing
1: fingers at each brother. Absolutely. Yeah. Who's the most culpable? Who's... Mm -hmm. God, this sounds familiar, doesn't it?
0: Yep. And honestly, we don't really get to the why they wanted to do this. We don't get to exactly who pulled the triggers on whom. Because the truth truth is, is that there's multiple injuries to these boys. So all three are fucking responsible. All three pulled the triggers and... All three blamed each other.
1: Was this planned out in advance premeditated or did they just come upon them? No, they these say people? they just
0: came upon them. And ha- That's even scarier. It is. That is even scarier. I'm it was cold. just like, oh, that here's was a bunch of kids. Noise. Let's murder them. That was them. my soul creaking.
1: <laughs> that was um, weird. Bullshit. In terms of making the argument that it was so impromptu, at the very minimum... There was a conversation that happened before for all three of them to have known what it was and what the plan was. This is what I think what happened. Enough to require premeditation.
0: I think that they looked at them and said, hmm, there's four punk teenage boys and one gorgeous girl. I want that girl. Let's kill the boys. I'm going to have that girl. Okay. That's truly where I think that It it, it comes from, and they didn't realize. And the boss is just like, Meh, whatever, whatever. Jr. wants, no big deal. It's no skin off my dick, right? So he's he's like, sure, fine, we'll kill these kids. You go have your fun. Then he finds out she's thirteen, and now he suddenly just has a like you said, you suddenly have a conscience. Well, it's made it personal now because that's the same age as his stepdaughter, right? Who apparently he did care for. Anywho, yeah. So David and Alan Fryer, that's Hatchet Face and the boss. They were placed in a small jail in Rock Rapids where James um, was taken back, Jr. was taken back to the Minnehaha County Jail in Sioux Falls where he had actually been already serving a sentence, one that allowed him work release, Megan.
1: Oh my God.
0: Records show that he signed himself back into jail at 2.30 a.m. the night of the murders. Sandra can finally feel safe again, aside from the fear that the, of the trauma triggers, of course. The murderers are behind bars. That is, until Alan and David are able to use their shoddy old jail cell bolts to their advantage and they escape. In 1973, this jail, jail is old school. So old school that Sheriff Vincent and his wife actually live on site at the jail. Really, his wife was the his wife was like the cook for the inmates. She made them their meals.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: It was an old two story um, building with cells on the upper level and the sheriff's office on the lower. Now, although he dropped out of school at seventh grade at the age of sixteen, he was sixteen in seventh grade. He had an IQ of eighty seven, with little to no reading and writing skills. Alan... However, had very ta- was very talented at mechanics and he used his skill to his advantage. After Sheriff Vincent shut off the lights and locked up for the night, he noticed that the beds were secured to the wall with hooks and chains. Okay. Okay. He was able to remove the hook. So picture a hook.
1: I picture it.
0: And as it happens, this hook fit perfectly around the bolts that were hinging the cell door to the wall. So... Just like it was a wrench, yeah. he used used the hook to unscrew the bolts bit by bit from the hinges until they popped out and he could just take the door off. Christ almighty. And so he just walks over to Vincent's desk, grabs the keys, busts out his brother, David.
1: There was a literal jailbreak in this case. Sure is.
0: So it was actually Sheriff Vincent's wife that realizes that the inmates have busted loose because she was bringing them their breakfast breakfast tray the next morning and they weren't there and this is another reason why i love sheriff vincent instead of worrying about how this looks on him his first priority get sandra to safety these two murderers are on the loose again get sandra to to safety but alas david and alan's little vacation didn't last long because within a week. They hit a pedestrian with a stolen vehicle and were r- arrested without issue. The pedestrian is okay by okay. the way
1: and they didn't resist
0: They didn't resist they are transported back to Iowa for the murder charges and the pedestrian is fine okay all right so at this point they have a complicated situation. All the brothers are turning on one another and each is trying to implicate themselves less and less okay. So David said that he would never plead guilty because he told his mama that he didn't do it and he did not want to disappoint his mama.
1: Okay. Thank you. sir,
0: He's probably the baby of the family. Your and I say
1: that as the baby of the family. Your mom's already disappointed, son. You're in jail.
0: I, I'm sorry. She was disappointed when you were born and she looked at you. <laughs> but while they took him out to the scene of the crime, he confessed to dozens of other unsolved burglaries in the area, allowing them to close those cases. So guess what, Mama. You know, I guess it's okay that your baby is a thief, but she draws the line at murder.
1: That's he. Right. It was my other brothers because I'm a thief and I break into places, but I've never killed anyone. So therefore, they're the they're the culpable ones here. See. Right. Look at me. Come clean.
0: So let me take you to the trials. I know these are your favorite parts and you really will. I will give you this book to read if you would like it after um, you'll like the the trial parts. Um, Alan, the boss friar's trial was first. And young Sandra had to be brought in in um, special entrances, of course, because of all of the limelight around this and all of the, you got to remember that the her. headlines at the time are very convoluted. They're blaming Sandra still. I know. Okay. So she is the prosecution's star witness at the tender age of 13. She is put on the stand for the defense. Um, excuse me, for the prosecution where the defense would try to confuse her. They would rapid fire questions at her. They would do what they could to discredit her as a witness, but she sat there and she prevailed. The trials lasted more than a year.
1: Wow. Mm-hmm.
0: Sandra was called upon to testify numerous times over and over that year. And each time having her name splattered in the news, each time circulating more rumors and speculation about her. And remember, she looks older than she really is, and race plays a role here as she has Native American heritage. So she has to continuously endure this. And remember, the reason it was so convoluted is because of the way the boys, the, the brothers were turning on each other, recanting their statements, reassessing their statements making different claims to try to make themselves less culpable. But
1: she's been consistent.
0: She sure has and her testimony has never changed. And they didn't the defense was nebble, never able to get her to trip up. Good. It's Sandra's testimony over and over that debunks the claims made over and over by the brothers in what ends up being the literally the crux for the defense. Sandra takes them down. Okay. This time was understandably not easy for Sandra. She could only sleep if her mother was next to her, and she often woke up having night terrors. She lost friends. No one wanted their child to hang out with, quote, the Gitchy Girl. That was the name that she was dubbed. Okay. Over and over in the news and in school, the Gitchy Girl.
1: Both for the name, place, and potentially a derogatory Native American commentary Correct. as yes. to who she was.
0: Yes, because the site was actually a Native American um, site made well, into a state well park. Well known. Yep, and Gitchy, it was, Manito. Yes, and it um, it stood for what did I say in the beginning? free, Big, free spirits, something, like, something that. like that. Yeah, it was a well known, you know, place. So David or Hatchet Face as I told you in the beginning, said he would never plead guilty because he didn't want to disappoint his mama. He ends up being the first one to plead guilty. So he pled to three counts of murder and one count of manslaughter. He did not like prison very much. He actually said it was like living with a bunch of wild hogs and he wanted to write the governor to ask for the death penalty. He'd rather die than live with the wild hogs. Well, sir, you are worse than wild hogs. Do not insult wild hogs like that. They have at least a code of conduct.
1: Hogs are pretty smart, actually. They sure are. Very destructive, though.
0: So now I will refer back to Gitchy Girl, the survivor's inside story of the mass murders that shocked the Heartland by Phil Hammond and Sandy Hammond. And I'm going to read for you from page 121 just to make sure I get all of these details clear. Okay. All right. Quote. Allen was found guilty of four counts of first-degree murder. He had two prior felony convictions. In a pre-trial interview, one parole officer stated that Allen had killed in the manner of one simply poaching a deer. He was sentenced to four terms of life in prison. James was found guilty of three counts of, mur- of first-degree murder and one count of manslaughter.
1: This is J.R.
0: Mm-hmm. He was given three terms of life and one term of eight years for manslaughter. The prosecution made the decision not to pursue the charge of rape since he would be locked up for life, and then she wouldn't have to testify about that piece. There were three sent to the... That was not in the quote. That was me looking at Matt. I know it was. Um, Continuing with the quote, quote, all three men were sent to the maximum security penitentiary in Fort Madison, Iowa. At the time, Iowa did not have the death penalty, end quote. So, the scariest part of all, Megan, is that even at the end of the year-long trials, no one could establish a clear motive for these murders.
1: Deer poaching sounds about like one. Mm-hmm. Just complete lack of respect for human life. And he treated Mar- them as, um, as hunting. They were hunting.
0: Mm-hmm. We all know there is not a good reason to take another person's life. Uh, maybe other you know than self-defense.
1: Can I correct something? Sure. Hunters actually hunt with honor usually and for, for meat. For And there are some sports hunters. That's more what I would refer to them, to yes. them as. I would never insult hunters.
0: Well, like the, he said, he actually said poachers. Yeah. Poachers for deer. Poachers Not for hunters. deer. Not hunters. He said poachers. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I,
1: that's what I'm correcting. My yep. hunting statement too is poaching, poaching.
0: instead. Yep. So um, the lives of four teenage boys ages 14, 15, 17, and 18, the exact ages of my children currently. So you can see why I had such a hard time with this. I do. There is never a good reason, but here it was simply a case of three evil men wandering in the dark in the woods and a group of innocent teenagers being in the wrong place at the wrong time. So that's the end of the trials that I have for you because – Truly, can you imagine after a year-long Kafuckery, which is a new word that I've just created, not still not knowing, knowing you get the sentences you want, but still not knowing why. why? So let's talk aftermath. Okay. Sandra's life did not get back on track for a long while. School was never the same. Rumors abounded, and eventually she couldn't take it. She dropped out and she moved in with her brother, Bill, to work full time. I will insert, because I can't remember if I added it later, but she did go back and get her GED. Good. But she would busy herself with work by day and party to numb away the pain by night. She met people at these parties that were not healthy for her, and eventually she was introduced to the drug speed. She liked the energy that she got from it and the fact that she could go all day without feeling the need to eat, but had energy. The one thing, though, through um, or the one thing about her, though, is that when the pills ran out, she didn't feel the need to take them again. She never became addicted to them. She just abused them from time to time. She was sixteen and basically an adult. By eighteen, she moved away with Bill's girlfriend while his girlfriend was attending interior design school, and Sandra worked in retail. When the school year was over, they moved back to Sioux Falls, and Sandra met a man named Carol Kranz. Carol, C-A-R-R-O-L-L, Okay. Carol Kranz, he turned out to be the owner of a pawn shop that Bill worked at, and for a long time, the two were just casual friends. Until after a while, Carol bought her a beer, and she noticed that he would only drink one and then be done, something that she noticed others that she hung out with could not do. He was a regular guy, the kind that she'd not known before. He was kind and polite, and he didn't stay up all night partying. He was good for her. In 1986, the two were married in Las Vegas. Carol had two sons from a previous marriage that Sandra loved like her own. His shops did very well, so they were able to take wonderful vacations to places like Maui. And he was the type of man that would take both of their mothers on vacation with them, too. Aww. I
1: know, right? That's cute.
0: Sandra even discovered, through the love of a good dog, And ahead of her time, that pet therapy can help heal old wounds.
1: I firmly
0: believe this. Absolutely. She even had aspirations to start her own no-kill shelter someday. So let's talk about the fact that people still judged her. They claimed that she had something, they still claimed that she had something to do with the murderers. She lived with survivor's guilt, night terrors, and depression her whole life. Then she was approached to tell her story. And she never knew how healing that could be. Forty years after the murders, she met face-to-face with Alan the Boss Friar to ask him why. Why did he let her live? He responded that she reminded him of of his stepdaughter, who was her same age. She told him he did the right thing by not killing her. And after that meeting, they shook hands. After that meeting, she felt lighter, and life seemed to be more sweet. Once the first book released people came forward to tell her that they too were rape survivors, that they too believed her, and that they were with her. Others came out of the word work to give her love and support and send reassurances that they never blamed her for the boy's death, even family of the boys. It's been a healing process for her, and it was so well-received that it sparked the second book called Gitchy Girl Uncovered, the true story of a night of mass murder and the hunt for the deranged killers. By the same author's, of the first book, Phil Hammond and Sandy Hammond. And this is where I'm going to tell you that Phil Hammond and Mike Hadreth were best friends.
1: Oh, see, I'm I talking now. So, okay. Uh, so he had invested interest in telling this story because Mike was his, best his friend. BFF at the time. Yep. You don't think about that too, right? That there were all of these other kids in this town. We know that they treated her, her badly because they didn't know what to believe. But look at it from their perspective. They're babies and they didn't know what to believe and their friends got taken their from friends.
0: them. Their friends got yeah. taken from them. Yep. The second book that Phil and his wife wrote goes to more into depth about the time the killers were still not caught and the trials and the killers' convoluted stories blaming one another. It also is more open about Sandra because it was written after she no longer feared of not being believed. So I high re- highly recommend both of them. Phil and Sandy are sure to mention at the end of the second book how Sandra often tells people that the boys were so brave. They never let her. Ooh. Okay. Both okay. together. We got it. Deep breath. They never let her know the reality of how serious the situation was to keep her calm. Yeah. They did not beg for their lives. Or try to run and leave her behind. When many would have taken cover, Mike ran to protect her, even after being shot himself. Sandra did get her GED. I did put it in here. You did? And pulled her life together. But it took 42 years before the biggest healing could take place through telling her story. She can go to Gitchy, that's what she calls it, she can go to Gitchy now and feel close to the boys. She prays to them as she asks, for, and she also asks for them to come to her in dreams. She feels connected with them. Their families have made it clear that they don't blame her. And she has come close to become close with many of them throughout her life as they have bonded through tragedy. So I'd like to read you a little note from Sandra herself in the second book, Gitchy Uncovered. Okay. For many years, I didn't think about how my mom must have suffered silently from being the mother of the Gitchy girl. She never said a word but I know it had to have been difficult. My desire is that everyone who hears my story will use it to spread love and to su- and support to make our society a better place. End quote. You know, I always like you to You have leave. me all
1: teared up, so don't look at me. I know.
0: I know. I love to leave on a, on the note of a survivor um, or in a victim. So, whoo, special thanks again to Patreon Brennan for bringing Sandra's case to us. And, um, for allowing us to take a small part in in hoping to spread that that yeah, love and positivity. Ryan and this is a hell of a
1: story, man. Mm-hmm. From your hometown, like you, you got me here.
0: Yeah, yeah, wow. me too. And now you understand why it took me a year to put this <laughs> Girl, together. You, you did it, but justice. we will do it. We will do it when you give us our the recommendations, y'all. We will do it in our own time. Yeah. Just so you know, the place at, at Gitchy where these murders took place—the haunting. Yeah, it really is
1: considered one of the most um, haunted places, and that's not not unbelievable because. There's something bad that happened there. And whether you believe, and you know I'm a naysayer in spirits or anything or not, just the general feeling and vibe of being in a place where young children were murdered. You can feel the energy of Of that. course you can, and it's a negative energy. Yeah. And if you didn't know it when you walked through there, you might not notice it. But Mm-mm. knowing something bad happened there, I you would can, for sure yep. have the have the chills, the shivers up.
0: Um, and it, I put a note in here for my brain bath okay, it said, you sent yourself funny jokes, so read those. <laughs>
1: okay, I love it. I love that you reminded yourself. I did. Let me get my phone. Okay. You sent yourself funny jokes.
0: Yep, I send myself I,
1: messages like that, too. That's
0: how I make notes. To, and, and just so you know, this is so ridiculous. I don't know how it happened. I think because at one point in time in my husband's phone, which was linked through, like, our Apple whatevers, um, he had me, and his phone is gorgeous. So when I pull up my my number. I put my number. It it comes to me as gorgeous. Oh my which god! Is just so funny. I didn't name myself that. Well, you should. But it's just adorable. We all should. It's we should. We should. But it's just adorable that my my husband has that. I'm like, oh, good thing he didn't say heartless bitch. Right. He'd have no idea to come over like that. Okay, so do you want to hear some funny jokes? We actually never tell corny jokes on this podcast i
1: might have said a couple <laughs> to our patreons but our general public needs to hear that,
0: that was yeah that was such sarcasm, sarcasm. Mm-hmm. Here. here
1: come the bad dad jokes
0: today at the bank an old lady asked me to help her check her balance so i pushed her over Ah uh, ha, ha ba, <laughs> dum, <ba. laughs> three years ago my doctor told me i was going deaf i haven't heard from him since
1: These are so stupid. I know.
0: (laughs) Isn't this the best way to end a story that made us cry? Yes, except for now I'm crying more. (laughs) The other day, my wife asked me to pass her lipstick, but I accidentally passed her a glue stick. She still isn't talking to me. Oh, God, don't tell Matt that's an option.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I've done that to my own self. It doesn't actually stick your lips together, by the way. It does make them incredibly dry. I bet. And also
0: backstory, how did you do
1: that? Well, I keep chapstick in my right hand drawer at work, and apparently <laughs> I put a glue stick there too. And as I'm doing whatever, I literally reached in and grabbed it, and just like subconsciously applied it to my lips, and immediately knew I had made an error.
0: In your defense, I can see how chapstick and a glue stick would seem very similar. I don't
1: you, I don't wear lipstick. I don't. I right. wear lip gloss sometimes. Too. That's yeah. colored, but for the most part, I wear chapstick.
0: Yep, me too. I don't look good in lipstick. I look like I'm trying to be a lady of the night, and I don't do it justice. They do it a lot better. I
1: think I look great in red lipstick, but very much like a hooker. Oh. And I'm okay with it. I just don't do it. There's a time and a place. There is. And yeah, yeah. It's not work. Yeah, right. To be fair. Right. Yeah. My
0: dog is a genius. I asked him, what is two minus two? He said nothing. <laughs>
1: This reminds me of Jason and his dad's joke with the dogs from a Patreon episode.
0: This one actually reminds me of Jason, too, where I think he would think it's legit. I don't want to brag, but I finished the puzzle in under a week, and it said two to four years on the box. (laughs) (laughs) So cute. Mm, My boss told me to have a good day, so I went home. Exactly. That's right. Exactly.
1: You can't even fire someone for that. I wouldn't. For sure. I prefer to tell people to have the day they deserve and the rest is up to them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If that were true for me today, I don't even know what that would mean because it's been a shit
1: show. I know. Sometimes we don't have the day we deserve. That's That's why I I wish that upon people. Right. I Karma sort that shit out. Well, I'm wondering if karma did today. And then
0: which case I'm like, where do I need to check myself? Why did I deserve that? What did I do?
1: Well, according to most of the cases we've heard lately, we could just perform an exorcism.
0: Oh, good point. Good point. You know what I forgot to talk about with Gitchy? When you say exorcism, I also wanted to point out that I love, and this goes back to her spirituality connection, where she asks the boys to visit her in her dreams, and yeah. they do. You can do that with your loved ones. Yeah. I won't get into it on this podcast, but I'm, I'm hoping to in future podcasts in a, in a different realm, that you absolutely can ask loved ones in their energy to come through, and they can come through in dreams or what we consider dreams, but in our sleep, a lot easier energetically wise because your ego is out of the way, your human self is out of the way. It's resting, it's sleeping. Your spiritual self can connect. Yeah. So, little little PSA for all of you: if you have a loved one on the other side that you want to connect with, just reach out to them with the, in, with your thoughts and intention and ask them to come and visit you. And the boys do come and visit her. Wow, we got off track from the
1: jokes, but we I was did, mesmerized. But isn't that
0: great? I like. I it. do. You're I. A do. I we will. A really good bathing it was a good bathing so anyone anyone can do that that's not just exclusive to people who are spiritually connected or native american anyone anyone who has a soul so you know these three assholes sorry to the you can't you. do that right <laughs> good luck to the rest of you and on that note we hope that you keep listening keep it curious bye bye